0: So there's two parts, and I want to remind you of the reason why we're doing all of this, and it may feel really laborious. One it's so that you can remember a book like Exodus, which is really helpful because it's such an important book for the whole Bible. So you can open up anywhere in Exodus in the future, and you kind of know where we are. We're in, oh, God speaks again bit, or whatever. But also, the structure of a book teaches us a message. Okay, So it's not random, the way that Moses put the book together, There's a reason for the progression and the story, and that teaches us what God is trying to say to us, which is why we have the thing of the two parts. So The first part is crying out this message of, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Because we get this repeated phrase, then you will know. And God shows us who he is by rescuing his people. He says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to rescue you, then you will know. Then the Egyptians, you're going to see my power as I rescue my beloved son, Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, there is no other God. So that's what we were looking for in the Bible, in the studies. We're going, what is this telling us about who God is? What is it telling us about who God is? But now we've got up to part two, which shifts focus a little bit. Now God's people have been rescued, the focus shifts not on... God revealing himself so much, though he's still doing that, but much more on who his people is. Who are the rescued people? Now they've been rescued out of Egypt, now they've been gathered together at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, again, because they started at the mountain before, uh, Moses did. Here they are. Who are God's people? What are they to live like? How is God going to be in a relationship with them? Rescue, and then the relationship. Who is God? Who are his people? Which means... Again, this shapes what we're looking for to learn from God. We're asking in our studies, okay, what is this showing us about what it means to be God's people? And that's the big question that you'll be asking as you get through your study. Who are his people? And And we learn from the Old Testament people of God what it means to be the New Testament people of God, too. It's the same pattern. Okay? So, God hears, God speaks, God rescues, God speaks again, God speaks again, again. God comes down. So God hears the cries of his people. God speaks to them, speaks to Moses in Mount Sinai and says, I will rescue them, then you will know that I'm the Lord. God does his epic rescue, the plagues, the Red Sea, and then the people sing a song of praise. And then he provides for them in the desert, even though they start grumbling. His grace sustains them. And then here we are now, where are God Speaks Again. We're in, tonight we're God Speaks Again, part two. We've got two weeks on this. So God's people are gathered at Mount Sinai. If I open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19, 19 is the big kind of dividing mark in the book of Exodus. <laughs> Exodus 19. page 76. So God's people have been rescued. It. Um, you see it verse, verse 1, the desert of Sinai. Sinai is the mountain where God first spoke to Moses, said, you're going to come back here. And God speaks to his people through Moses. Moses goes up, down, up, down, up, down, up and down the mountain, talking to people, talking to God, talking to the people, talking to God, calling the people. Um, and God speaks and says, you're going to be my treasure possession, you're going to be my people, and this is how you live for me. And tonight we are at... God Speaks Again, part two, and we're going to be focusing on chapter 20 to 31, but mainly chapter 20, don't forget. So let me pray, and then we'll get into what God has to say to us tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've taught us so far. It's good to look back over five other weeks where you have spoken to us about who you are. You revealed to us your your caring heart that you heard the cries of your people just like you hear our cries to be rescued. You've shown us your mighty strength that you alone can rescue. Moses couldn't do it. You did it. Pharaoh couldn't stand in your way. Satan cannot stand in your way. You conquered. You rescued your people because you love them. Thank you for showing us your loving, rescuing power. And we've seen that in Christ, that he died on the cross. He put to shame all other powers and authorities that would oppose and enslave us. And the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free. Thank you for all that you've shown us and what you're beginning to show us now about who we are. And I pray that we would listen and that we would really learn something tonight, Lord. Would each one of us leave here knowing one true and precious thing about what it means for us to be your treasured possession. So help us to listen, to be challenged and to be comforted um, by your word. Amen. So tonight, I want to talk to you about relationships, because I think you and I have commitment issues, okay? And I want to talk about these issues that we have. I think it's pretty evident in the lives um, of those around us, but also I think in our experience, that our generation in particular has embraced commitment-light relationships. I'm going to read to you from Millennial Magazine. Now, that's so millennial to have a magazine about us. But anyway, here they go. This is what they say about um, relationships and commitment. Generation Y, that's, I think, my generation. Generation Y is redefining the meaning of relationships. Both millennial men and women seem to eagerly go against tradition and are consistently growing towards more nonchalant relationships. It has become socially acceptable for Gen Yers to to participate in casual flings rather than meaningful relationships. In a society where one night stands and... Friends with benefits are being glorified, is their cause for alert. This is what it says at the end Millennials are waiting to be saved by someone who proves that love exists and relationships can persist. Yet, on the contrary, what Gen Y is actually creating is a community where people are emotionally disconnected from one another by the cynical and distrusting thoughts of each other. Very interesting. I think we're actually quite a conflicted generation. And this is expressed here. On the one hand, we hunger after this love that persists, authentic, deep relationships. We're on a search for that. But on the other hand, we don't know how to find those relationships easily. We consistently, and this is generalizing, but we do embrace relationships that are low commitment. Maybe we're scared of tying ourselves in, scared of getting hurt, I think a big part of it is often scared of just losing our freedom. We, we highly prize autonomy to be free to do what I want. It was really interesting when I got married to my wife, Vicky. I was, uh, we were still at university, at the end of university. I was just 21. And that freaked people out because um, we were so young. And But people quite split in their response. Some people were like, you're so young. You're tying yourself in. What if there's someone else out there? And I'm like, that's kind of insulting to my wife. But you know, <laughs> and, and but they saw it as a restricting thing, this commitments we were making. And others were like, wow, I wish I had that kind of commitment so young in my life. It was it was people were really split by it. It was really interesting. So I think whether it's friendships or romantic relationships or even um, church relationships, work we tend towards our generation low-commitment relationships. Now, if that's the air that you and I breathe, that's commitment light, there's probably a danger that we bring this into our relationship with God. We like to talk about having a relationship with God, don't we? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And last time, the big lesson from Exodus was that we're rescued for a relationship. God's brought his people to Sinai to have a relationship with them. He's rescued them. So the question we're asking tonight is, well, what kind of relationship has God rescued us for? So here's the challenge. Is it possible that we bring our 21st century commitment light relationships into what it means to have a relationship with God? That's what I want us to explore. We want a relationship with God, but we maybe fear losing our autonomy, our freedom to be self-directing. So one thing that we don't want from God is lots of rules and calls for high commitment from us. We like to keep our options open, keep the demands minimal. So we like a relationship with God where we get a lot of blessing, but intense high-level commitment from our side makes us nervous. Now in Exodus, what God says to his rescued people about his relationship is that the relationship he saved them for is commitment-heavy. It's a commitment-heavy relationship. But what I want us to see is that this kind of commitment-heavy relationship is the best kind of relationship God could have given his people, and he gives to us. Millennials are waiting to be saved by someone who proves that love exists, and relationships can persist. Well, let me introduce you to the God of Exodus, and let me introduce you to a really important word which captures this high-level commitment relationship that God enters into with those He rescues And it's the word covenant. We've come across this before as we've been studying Exodus, but I want to think about it tonight especially. And we're going to define covenant this way. It's God's commitment to bless and our commitment to obey. That's the kind of relationship God rescues us for. One where he commits to bless us and be our Lord and we commit to love and obey him. So God, at this point, on Sinai, is establishing, this is what's going on, he's establishing his covenant, this high-level commitment relationship. Now, we've seen God's side of the covenant um, when he makes all these amazing promises in verse 5. Uh, just to remind you, 19 verse 5, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he said, out of everyone, I've rescued you. I've shown my commitment to you. You're going to be my special people. And then in chapter 20 to 31, God lays out their side of the relationship. Obedience, love. And so this is is the big lesson for tonight. God's people, who are his people? They are rescued for obedience. That's our big thing for tonight. Rescued for obedience. Covenant obedience. Okay, let's have a look and see where I'm getting this from. Look down at chapter 20 and verse 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male, nor female servant, nor animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor neighbor's, neighbor's male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now just look with me at verse 2. We know the ten words, the ten commandments, but but notice where it starts, verse 2. And notice where it starts with relationship and rescue. I am the Lord, your God do you see the relationship there he's using his special covenant name that we saw a few weeks ago the Yahweh the I am I am the Lord capital L-O-R-D he uses his personal relationship name with them and he says I am your God I'm not just any God I am your God relationship and do you see that it's rooted in rescue who how does he define himself who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If God could define himself anyway, it's, I'm the one who rescued you. I'm the one who loves you enough to have rescued you. So I want you to see there how God roots the giving of the law in his relationship with them and his rescue of them. Now in our commitment-like mentality, we struggle to fit together relationship with God and law. Law is a bad word, right? Law is high commitment, freedom impinging, being told what to do. So when we think about our relationship with God, we think about how much he's committed to us, but maybe we think less highly of our commitment to obey him. He loves me, he's rescued me, thanks God, see you in heaven. Now what do we do with the law stuff? But do you see how God doesn't seem at all awkward about talking about law in relating to him, he's not like I'm really sorry, but now I've rescued you. There's some terms and conditions. You know, at the end of adverts where they go, oh no, terms and conditions. And to say it really fast, it's like I am the Lord your God. He loved you. He brought you out of slavery. I'm really sorry, but here are the terms and conditions. Um, have no other gods. Don't murder. All that kind of stuff. You know, he just rushes through it. Now he's telling, in telling people how to obey him, I want you to see that how to obey him is organically <coughs> related to their relationship with him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, now this is how you live for me. You can't have a relationship with God where he rescues you for a low commitment relationship. You can't have that kind of relationship with God. The Israelites were rescued for obedience. So let's look at what God says, hey, this is your part, this is where you commit to me. Let's look at what he says. You get the first four commandments, which are really focused on how they relate to God. And it's kind of like, okay, I've rescued you. Therefore, don't have any other gods. I'm your God. You don't make images that you bow down to as if they were God, as if they were me. You don't use my name and misuse it for your own selfish purposes. You rest like I rest. And then the last six commandments really focus on how they relate to each other as a society. You've been rescued for obedience, which means you commit to each other. Honor your parents, the most basic foundational unit of human life. If that falls apart, everything falls apart. Honor your parents. If you love me, love those who are made in my image. Don't kill each other. You shall not tear your marriages apart. Don't commit adultery. You shall not steal. Property rights matter to me. You shall not give... False testimony about each other. Speak truth like I speak truth. Don't make stuff up to get one up on your fellow Israelite. Don't covet. It's not yours. Don't desire it. I'll provide for you. So these ten commandments encapsulate what it means to obey God in a high commitment relationship as as His rescued people. Now I said that I think that this high commitment relationship is the best kind of relationship God could have given and to see that, I want you to think, well, what, what would it look like for God to have rescued them for a low commitment, obedience-less relationship? I'm the Lord, your God, who rescued out the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. But you can worship other gods too. Let's have a kind of open relationship. I'm cool with that. Um, if you want to build things to worship, I don't know, a golden calf. I'm cool with that. You, you can worship those instead. It doesn't matter if your home and your families are being torn apart by dissent I love you, but if you murder each other, that's all right. You know, if you want to sleep with each other, that's fine. I'm kind of a progressive god. You can take stuff from each other. I mean, can you imagine? That would be awful to be rescued for low commitment disobedience. Would be bonkers. Some kind of polyamorous. Hey, you can have other gods, but please, kind of be your favorite. It'd be bizarre. It'd be awful. Being rescued for high commitment, high obedience covenant is the best kind of relationship to be rescued for. Now over the next few chapters, uh, we're not, we're not going to read through it all, but God gives what's called case law where he, he shows them how to apply the Ten Commandments in particular kind of typical situations in Israelite, Israelite life. So it talks about how to treat your servants fairly, through to what justice um, should be administered for different kinds of crimes, like murder or manslaughter or whatever it is, kidnapping. There are laws about treating foreigners well, taking care of widows. Don't deny the poor justice. There's more about don't make images. Man, they needed to hear that. That's next week. Keeping the Sabbath, celebrating festivals. There's instructions to build the tabernacle, which we're going to do in the last week. Now, if you read some of these laws... They might feel quite strange, especially to our 21st century ears, but what we have is God's covenant, his old covenant, example to show this is what it means to live in a relationship with me when you obey me. But this relationship with laws and higher level obedience, that's Old Testament stuff, right? Turn with me to John chapter 14. been seeing every single week how Exodus is like this shadow this blueprint that is taken into full technicolor in the New Testament and it's no, it's no less true for this John 14 verse 23 page 1082. Jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. What kind of relationship does Jesus want with us? High commitment obedience. Loving Jesus leads to, must lead to, obeying him. We Christians, glow Church, we're rescued for obedience. That's the kind of relationship God rescued you for. We're rescued for a relationship with Jesus where we obey His teaching. And isn't that the best kind of relationship? Because if you can you imagine if we really lived out Jesus' teaching, how good that would be. So I want to get away. I was chatting to someone else on Sunday. Tony's not here, so I can say this right. And I said, you know, we've done the rescue bit of Exodus and now we're getting to where God gives them the law. He's like, oh, so you've done the really good bit. And I go, okay, you need to come this week. We need to get away from this idea that the old covenant was higher commitment, more law, and more demanding of obedience than our new covenant with Christ. We've got to get away from that idea. Spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount, Right? Jesus has saved you and me for a deeper and more far-reaching relationship of obedience in the law of Exodus, because he goes right to our hearts and gives us the Holy Spirit of God so that we can live this deep obedience. So Jesus, by his blood, you're going to get to the blood in your, in your study, he has opened this way for you and me in this generation to have a high commitment covenant relationship with God we are rescued for obedience. Millennials are waiting to be saved by someone who proves that love exists and relationships can persist. That's Jesus, isn't it? So let's pray and give thanks for this. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this relationship that you've rescued us for. Thank you that you you don't just rescue us and then just leave us to it, but you want to be our God and you want us to be your people. You want to enjoy like a marriage relationship with us where you make promises to us and we make promises to you and we enjoy commitment lord god we say as our creator you are worthy of our complete obedience we're sorry that we fall short and we thank you for the grace we find in christ his blood that covers and makes up for our sin just as blood made up for the sin of the israelites And we praise you and long for a deeper experience of this obedience. Holy Spirit, we pray that even tonight you would deepen our love for you, deepen our commitment to obey you. Lord, as we look at and gaze at your incredible commitment to love us, supremely shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. So be with us now as we open the Bible together in groups. Speak to us. We want to hear your voice. Amen.